0: Welcome everyone to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. We've got the live system a whole lot closer, so hopefully, those at home were going to be able to see a little clearer than last time and hear a lot better than last time. In fact, we already have six people joining us from home, so that's wonderful. Welcome everyone. I'm so glad you're here. I am so glad this room is nice and cool. It's definitely, the temperature has picked back up again. I have uh, only really two announcements. The first one being that the Bible study is continuing on Zoom. Everyone is welcome to join if you want the information on how to log on, just let us know. And I've also been sending out pretty regular emails or contact information about that. The other one is we have a very important birthday with us today. So maybe don't give her a hug, but make sure you stop by and say happy birthday to Jean today. You're, you're what, 45? Yeah. All right. Happy birthday, Jean. I don't know, does this church have a tradition of singing when people's birthdays fall on? Sometimes? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Jean. Happy birthday to you. you. I hope that wasn't too low for all of you. I tend to start a little low. Do we have any other announcements or joys or concerns to share today?
1: I, I have not read the bulletin I was too to busy greeting, but there are candy bars in the back of the sanctuary that say
0: welcome back, so happy to see everybody. So don't forget your candy bar. <laughs> Wonderful, um, what's his name again, do you remember? Oh, I his name. Is. Okay. Kind of totally <laughs> <laughs> I did get a couple small updates on friends and family. Jean is, Garcia's back at home, she's healing well. Um, she's got her leg up and in an ice pack, uh, Glenn told me that They gave her enough ice packs, she can kind of keep trading them out and keep the pain levels down. So it seems to be working out well. Um, I don't know if anything's changed since I last heard from from Mark. Um, Emily did go in for a a checkup on, was that Friday night? Okay. They did not find any cancer in her stomach. Um, So she's going on to see a specialist to figure out what's going on in her right now. (laughs) <laughs> we know you got it, Janice. John. Okay. We know you can handle it. you'll join with me in prayer then I'm sorry I'm I'm used to things and I'm still getting my orders right in my brain if you'll join with me as we enter into a time of worship as we listen to the prelude and then have a prayer together as we invite God to join us in this space If you'll pray with me. Holy Father, our Father, we come in here today to worship you. We come today remembering all those men in our lives who have been there for us. Fathers, uncles, grandfathers, Teachers, friends, we think of you as our Father, as our Creator, as the one who stands there and protects and provides. We come into this space today to remember that, worship you. And to honor those people who have been your representatives to us in so many ways in our lives. We'll pray that we remember that more strongly today. We lift up some of our brothers and sisters who are in need of prayers and healing. Of comfort in difficult days. We pray for the young man who has undergone surgery for his tongue as his body recovers, as he figures out what he can and can't do. We pray for our sister, Jean, as she recovers from her foot surgery. We hope to see her again soon. We pray for Bonnie as she's going through scary moments. In times that don't feel so much like recovery. In times that your presence is needed all the more. For Emily, as they figure out what's going on. We're thankful it wasn't something as scary as we thought it could have been. And we pray for it to be something simpler. We pray for John as he gets ready for surgery. A very frightening surgery. We pray for the safety of his time, for the hands of the doctor, for the recovery, and for our sister Janice as she takes on extra work so that he has one less thing to worry about. We thank you for recoveries that have happened for the ones that we have sitting right here in this room, our precious sisters, that they could be here again, that we are able to enjoy them here, that we are able to even enjoy another birthday. We pray all these things in the name of the Son. Amen. If you, uh, if you check out the Facebook feed and see those little live things I just do on Tuesdays now, I may have mentioned this last week that I was going to do a passage out of Acts. And then about 20 minutes later, my wife looks at me and goes, that's an interesting choice. And I go, why? She goes, it's Father's Day. Oops. So I'm pushing that one off one more week. We'll, we'll get to Ananias and Sapphira next week. Um, And I went back and I I picked a passage that seemed to be a lot more Father's Day oriented rather than lie to Peter and die system. Uh, We'll get to that later. So today's reading comes out of the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. I don't know what page that is. I forgot to check today, but it's in your Bible if you want to find it. These commandments I give you today, they are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them to your forehead, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates." May we follow this as we walk our paths. And let we meditate on those some as we listen to our special music today.
1: Good morning, everyone, and happy Father's Day. thought it would be fitting to play a song. Uh, I don't want it to sound like it's not respectful or anything, but it's a little ditty about our heavenly daddy. It's called Good Good Father by Chris Tomlin.
2: only you provide cause you know just It's who I am. It's who I. Am.
0: Beautiful Janice, thank you. I'm not going to explain what I'm doing yet. But Lauren, who's hopefully watching at home, we're up at the 10. She'll know what I'm doing. We'll come back to it. So, I sat down and looked for a scripture for this week. As I said, I made the blunder of forgetting that Father's Day was coming up, and I found myself sitting at a table with my Bible open and looking through the vast internet for all the different lists of Father's Day recommendation verses. It's not something you can just kind of open up the back of your Bible and say, I'm a little low on this, aren't I? I'm not hearing myself right. Okay. Looking in the back and go, okay, give me a good verse for Father's Day. It doesn't work that way, typically. So I'm searching through and searching through. So for the most part, if you look at verses recommended for father's they fall into a couple of general categories. The first being about how you should honor your father, about the need for a father to be a good example to the children, about the father's need to discipline children, and then comparing fathers to our father. What I couldn't find was a reflection of my experience of fatherhood. Okay, so my dad actually fits a lot of the recommendations when it comes to what's said in the, fa- in the Bible about being a father. But my relationship with him is so much more than that. My own fatherhood, I just don't feel reflected in the Bible. I have this tender love for this little girl. This love for snuggles in our rocking chair reading Winnie the Pooh books that wakes me up in the middle of the night because we need to be tucked into bed again. That love that sometimes means I have to turn off my emotions because her stubbornness and my stubbornness have collided and I If I don't shut them off, I will instantly melt at that upset little face who really wants a banana, and she just can't have another banana right now. I find my experience, I wanted to find my experience reflected in the fathers in the Bible. But there are very few stories that talk about the relationship between a father and a child, almost always a son in the Bible. And most of them aren't great. We have Abraham and Isaac. And Isaac's almost sacrificed on the mountaintop. Isaac and then his sons Jacob and Esau. And Isaac is played as a fool by the two of them. ...as they have their internal power struggle. Jacob, who then favors his son Joseph and his son Benjamin over the other ten... ...leading to, well, attempted murder, slavery, kidnapping. King David, the great King David, he can't bring himself to tell his sons no. And it leads to a point where one of his sons does something terrible... And it eventually leads to a, well, a murder and then a rebellion. He gets chased from his own castle by his son. Okay, well, how about the New Testament? Things do get better. We have one father and child, father and son relationship we know about Jesus and Joseph. It's not negative, but it's hard to say it's great. Because he disappears so quickly. We never get to know Joseph. We never get to know what their relationship is like. He gets one mention when Jesus is about 12. And then he disappears. We get that little mention right at the end of, of John. Where when Jesus is on the cross. He goes to the beloved disciple and says, take care of my mother. Well, that was the son's job. So we can probably guess from just that little bit there that Joseph has actually passed away already. There's only one father who is consistently a good role model in the Bible. And if you haven't guessed it yet, it's God. And I don't know about you, but that seems perhaps to be a bit of a high standard. (laughs) One would even be able to say a standard unreachable by humans, unattainable even. And I know I'm not perfect. Don't wake me up in the middle of the night. I've gotten to the point where I'm no longer as grouchy as I usually am when Gracie wakes me up for a retuck, but I'm still grouchy. And I know my dad isn't perfect. Sorry, dad. He won't watch this till later, hopefully. (laughs) But to be fair, it's something I more intellectually know and not something I feel. I can't help but almost always, when I think of my dad, think he's pretty good, if not nearly perfect. You see, my dad's one of those people he's kind of hard to read. He's tall. I say that as a five-foot-eight man in a family with a father who's six foot and two brothers who are over six foot, but he's tall to me. Strong, years of working at camp, you don't move wood and you don't do all the work that a large facility needs without getting strong from doing all of it. And he always seems to act as if he knows exactly what's going to happen. I don't know how he does it. He is almost always right. He moves with a level of surety that I try to emulate. I'm sure I fail constantly at it, but he can pull it off. I don't know how he does it. He's a quiet man. Often when we're at home, all the gathered, even at group gatherings, church or whatnot, he's the one who listens. At home, he's often reading a book, or he loves maps. He's still somebody who he might have to going when they travel from place to place, but he, already, he has already mapped out his entire thing by using the big old map at home. When new staff comes on at the beginning of the summer, he's direct. My father gives ordered, Nick. Nick was cleaning the bathhouse with another person. It was at the end of this camp week, and that meant that all the campers were being picked up. Their parents were all over the hill. Well, Nick and this other person were breaking one of those rules that we have, which is you don't play the music too loud, especially when there are people around. Well, they had the boom box. It was old enough that they had a boom box. It was sitting in the bathhouse with them and they had it turned way up. And Nick went out to empty some bucket or something onto the ground outside and he saw my dad walking up. You could always see and hear my father, especially in the early years at camp, coming because he always wore flip flops. And so you hear that of him coming at you. He turned around and went quickly back into the bathhouse and he turned the music down and way readied himself for my annoyed dad. My father never gets angry, or very rarely, but he gets annoyed. Annoyed is terrifying. <laughs> Suddenly, the door rips open, and my dad stood in the space, and he goes, play that funky music, white boy. I've been wanting to tell that story just so I could do that. <laughs> and then he went away. And then he comes back about 45 seconds later and goes, oh, by the way, I'm looking for Paul. Where is he? My dad's quite funny, too. Yes. (laughs) He watches things like The Office or Corner Gas or he grew up on a steady diet of Monty Python. It's a very goofy and dry sense of humor. Now, this is just the impressions of my dad, observations of a son who has always looked up to him and always been a bit intimidated by this long shadow that he cast. I would like to talk about what my father has taught me about faith, but it's hard to because my dad doesn't talk about his faith. I don't know if that's simply his nature, that he's a quiet person and he doesn't talk about these kinds of things, Or is it a byproduct of the fact that my grandpa was a pastor? And so my father just doesn't talk about certain things. I know when I have practiced giving sermons when I was in their house. Like last summer when I was preparing to come here and preach for all of you the first time, he heard me outside practicing. And he had flashbacks. He said, oh my Lord, he sounds like my father. He's never really talked about that but he has taught me a lot about what it means to be a christian with every step it takes and that's how i landed on this reading today with this teaching that looks forward in time this happens right after the ten commandments are given this is very early in the history of the nation of israel they have just agreed to the rules And they're looking forward. God's looking forward to how this will be passed on down the line. Which leads me to a great struggle within the world of science, psychology, uh, biology, all of that. Are we who we are because of nature or because of nurture? Is my personality my personality because I am my father's son and my mother's son and I've got their genetics in me? Or am I who I am because of the environment and the experiences and the people in my life? At one point, this was actually kind of a black and white question. It was this or it was that. Though, if you kind of go into a lot of today's ideas on this, Increasingly, the answer is simply, yes, and, because it's both. We're an amalgamation of the two. But there's still something to both of them that you have to pay attention to. There's something like in our blood. For instance, the story of James Jim Lewis. Jim was what he was called. He's from Lima, Ohio. I had a friend from Lima, and that's why I know it's pronounced Lima, not Lima. I'm catching up with Hines. He was adopted just after his birth in 1940, and his new parents gave him the name James. He grew up with a dog named Toy. In school, he loved math and carpentry, but he wasn't very good at spelling. He married a woman named Linda. They divorced, and he married a woman named Betty. He had a son, who he named James Allen Lewis, and he spent most of his life working as a security guard and driving a Chevrolet and is an avid smoker. Then there is James Jim Springer, who grew up 45 minutes away. I forgot to write the name of the town in here. He was adopted just after birth. His parents gave him the name James. He grew up with a dog named Toy. In school, he enjoyed math and carpentry, but not spelling. He married a woman named Linda, and they divorced, and he got married to a woman named Betty. He had a son he named James Allen Springer. He worked as a security guard, drove a Chevrolet, and was an avid smoker. Two men, identical twins, separated at birth and their lives. I, I took the first paragraph, copied the second paragraph, and changed the last name. That's all I had to do. It was the same story. The problem was I forgot to change the town name, too. They lived only 45 minutes apart but their lives are remarkably similar, despite not knowing one another. There's something in our blood. But there's always something to our environment as well. I tried to do a good story to do a nurture to put off against the nature. And the thing is, is we do a lot of very light studies. Let's face it, you don't want to do studies that would potentially harm children. But I did find one. It's called the Bobo Doll Study, in which they had some group of children and they gave them each um, a test to see how aggressive they were naturally. And then they separated the groups, kind of keeping it even, you know, about the same group of aggressiveness, about the same group of aggressiveness. And in one group, they had the Bobo doll, in which the researcher then proceeded to attack this little doll. And then they had the groups come back and uh, individually each go and meet the Bobo doll and they were asked to kick them and attack them. And they found that the group that was subjected to the violence were more likely to be violent to the doll, that had an increase in violence towards the doll, than the group that didn't. We watch others and we take what they do and accept it as normal. We build our own personality a little bit that way. That was just one little study. We can look back through history and see people in times and places accept social norms that we today would see as terrible. Learned behaviors in each of those groups. Let's face it. Misogyny, bigotry, racism. They aren't biological. That's learned behavior. There's one last study about nurture and nature. And this is what we call a natural study. That means no one set it up. It just happened. And it happened, and I hope I say this right, Uverkaliks, Sweden. If you think of Sweden, you know, it's a kind of a great big sweeping arc. It's way up there at the top, up in the north, little town they underwent an excruciating time of famine, the kind of famine where people die. The thing is, is it has affected all the generations that have come since them. It's something that we all carry in our own DNA, those, the program that makes our cells work the way they do. But here, they could have a study where they could see where it actually happened very recently and then compare it to people who lived around them. If you wanted to think of your DNA as a filing cabinet, this isn't a terrible way to put it. Think of it as a filing cabinet. Inside of it are thousands of, well, hundreds of thousands, millions even, of sheets of paper with information about who you are as far as your physical bodies go. Then there's these things that are referred to as epigenetics. If you wanted to think of that, think of those as like the tabs on the folders. And what appeared to happen when this famine came about is we have systems in our body that kick on when you go through famine. And those kicked on for those people for an extended period of time. And when they had children, that tab there was still marked in a bright color. It was still more easy to activate than those who lived in the surrounding areas who didn't go through the famine. Because of the experiences of the parents, the kids were physically changed on their, on their DNA level. And that has carried on. The grandchildren have it marked out as well. Their great-grandchildren have it marked out as well. The experiences of the parents are carried down through the blood. Memory passed by blood. Memory of struggles that makes those descendants more ready to deal with a famine. We are the sons of our past. Both our biological past through our parents and beyond, and through the past of the experiences that we live every day. And I think that is why the Bible writers didn't take the time to tell us a good story about a good dad. They were just hoping that today's readings, like today's, I said that twice, anyway, would get the point across, follow the rules, and be a good example for those who are watching you. Follow the rules. Burn it into your blood so that it carries down through the ages. I started on verse 6 today. Here's verse 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, (coughs) the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. My dad never needed to give me a how-to lesson about how to be a good man. He wears his faith on his forehead and on his wrist. He may not have taught me the words of my faith, but he taught me what it means to be a person who loves God and his children. A person who cares for the gifts of creation and family and community. I finished writing this sermon this morning sitting in that rocking chair in the bedroom. The one where I read Gracie books. It's gotten a lot of use the last couple years. And now whenever she gets upset, she tells mommy, rocking chair, mommy, rocking chair because she wants to go be and read a book. I remember the night she was born. The fear and the exhilaration. There had been a complication. And almost as soon as the baby came out, and she got a moment with her mom, and then the nurse took her over, I knew something was wrong because the midwife had to call in a doctor. And that's not the thing you wanna see in that moment of stress, there was a lot of blood. And so Lauren was taken to the OR. And I took Gracie with this sweatshirt I had bought just for the purpose. And I tucked her in up against my skin with her face right there. And I sat in the glider rocker, slowly rocking back and forth. I have never been so happy and afraid, crying and laughing and smiling all at the same time as I watched this woman come in to clean up what seemed like gallons of my wife's blood. I have no idea how long it took. It felt like hours, but I know roughly the time my in-laws got there, and it couldn't have been hours. Everything was OK. She was perfectly fine. There was no, nothing beyond that. And honestly, looking back, what happened probably wasn't that big of a deal. But at the moment, it sure felt like it. But I sat there, and I rocked that little child. And for the first time, I considered something I had never considered before, that I may be the parent, the only parent. For that little moment of time, I knew that things could be completely different than I had imagined. I had bought this sweatshirt with the idea that I would have some time soon after the birth in which I could cuddle Gracie up against me. I had a plan for how it was going to work out, and that plan fell to pot very quickly in that room. I considered what the future would be like for her, what it would mean for us. Thankfully, I didn't have to consider it very long. That little bit of time was my introduction to fatherhood, to being responsible for this little, tiny baby I've gotten past that somewhat. I'm a little more self-assured. I've got a wonderful partner who balances me out. And I balance her out, I think. You'll have to tell me when I get home. I pray to God every night with her. I pray the same prayer my mom and dad Prayed with me every night until I was old enough to go to bed by myself. Now I lay me, it's a little different for her, down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. God bless grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, aunts, uncles, cousins, puppies, and especially grace. May she wake up tomorrow full of energy and excitement for a new day. May she be ready to learn and to have fun. Thank you so much for all of our friends and family. May we never forget our great grandmas and grandpas. May we never forget Uncle Mickey and, of course, our lady girl. In your holy name we pray. If she answers, amen. I've tried, God. I'm trying to be a good dad. I've got some great examples in my life father, uncles, grandfathers, friends, and family. I've had some great mentors. And I've got you, God. I can keep looking at you, and I can keep trying to do better. I can keep trying to burn your faith into my blood. I can keep trying to make everything my daughter sees an image of Christ. I can try my best to wear your scriptures on my wrist and on my forehead and when you walk into my house, you are knowing that you are coming into a house that loves the way that God loves all of us. One that has faith in the creator. In our father. I'd like to close in a benediction, but I'm going to actually ask for the postlude to happen first and then I'm going to do that because I don't think I can do it at this moment. So I'll close in a prayer after. My prayer for all of us this week, as we go out, as we go into this world, let's wear his love and commandments on our wrists, on our forehead. Let us write it upon the door. Let us be good examples for those who see us. And those who learn for us from us. And let's give thanks. Thanks to those who have been there for us and shown us how to get where we're going. Thank you, Dad. Amen.